Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 56th episode of PEM Podcast, the Psychic Eye Mystery Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Laurie, with my schmabulous sister, Sandy. We've been sitting here the past 10 minutes. Laughing. with a Yeah, laughing. <laughs> coming up with a theme song, you know, something like, the hills are alive with the sound of slaughter. <laughs> so we're doing an axe murder today. Yes, we are. But that's not the theme song. Thank you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> me a name <laughs> shout help me <laughs> okay this is a, a great way to start way to run for your life <laughs> oh goofy times goofy times goofy times i was uh the reason that we're uh the topic came up was i spent last weekend with a very dear friend of mine who owns a house on the lake it's a historical home <laughs> And um, she's owned it for 30 years. I've I've known her for 35 years. So I've, I've been to this house several times and it's haunted as fuck. And um, so there's only one bedroom I feel comfortable sleeping in. Oh, but to great. get to it, <laughs> I always have, I have to pass this room. I know, like I have to pass this room. And I'm always like, <laughs> you know, trying to squeeze over the <laughs> other side of the hallway. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Um, and you know, that's one where I don't care how much liquid you've had at night, you are holding that until the first rays of dawn, because I'm not, I'm not headed to the, to the bathroom down the hall. Nope. That's not happening. So I'm, I'm sleeping in the car. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, she just, uh, she just, uh, bought the house next door to, a, uh, a really adorable cottage. So I think from now on, I'll be like, what? Oh, they want me in the cottage. I, yeah, I need to go in to my there. car in the yes, cottage. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful home. She's done an, a, an amazing job restoring it. Um, but it's, it's, it's really super haunted. It used to be a brothel at one point too. That's oh, really? Like a, yeah. So it was a brothel for like the automotive elites, um, back in the, like the 1940s. Interesting. Um, so, uh, no, no, it wasn't what, sorry. It was a hospital for, um, doctors for, um, what? I thought you were like, no, it was a hospital for menti mentally insane versus oh, a brothel. No. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. It was a brothel for not automotive, automotive elite, but in that area, a lot of doctors had purchased homes on the lake. So the doctors would come up and frequent the house. I don't know if any of the ghosts are whores, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> or Whore, whore. Yeah, yeah. I see dead horse. No, I'm kidding. Yes, there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the basement creep. The basement really creeps me out. I mean, basements creep me out anyway. But that basement, ugh, ugh. and um, every once in a while, I have to go down um, because you know we're moving stuff up and down. She's still uh, renovating, so there's a lot that often needs to be moved. So up and down the stairs, and I'm just like, okay, we'll do this one thing. I'd stand at the at the top of the stairs and do not move. Yes, while I haul you hear this me up. screaming, come down. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting that you um, are not interested in encountering ghosts. Ghosts have, Sandy, as you know, like, like I've always been sort of a target for ghosts, and they fucking creep me out. Like they really, really, really. I don't know why, but um, do you remember when we were? So there's yes. a story when I was three and Sandy was six. I have no memory of this, but it's been told to me <clears throat> over and over again. <clears throat> and we were staying in some historic hotel. In Colorado. And, in Colorado? 
Mm -hmm. No memory. Um, and supposedly I woke up and there was a man with a stovepipe hat. Mm -hmm. Um, and you had just been told the story of the Sandman. Mm -hmm. So I roll over and I'm like, Sandy, someone's here. And you're like, it's just the Sandman go back to sleep. So I roll back over. And every time I rolled over to be like, he's still here. Um, it's the Sandman. Boy. Well, he kept, every time you rolled in one direction, he'd okay. go to that side of the bed. And yeah, then yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know he went to that side of the bed. Yeah. I thought he just stood at the head of the bed. No, he kept moving oh, every time fuck. you rolled, whatever, whatever oh, direction God. you rolled and he was, he walked wow. in. Wow. Okay. Or floated. Not sleeping tonight. Oh, yeah. that's, that's, I'm, thank God. I was so traumatized. I have no memory of that whatsoever. Well, it was just a black silhouette outline. Like you couldn't Ugh. see any features or. You know, it was just a silhouette outline. He wasn't, I don't remember him being menacing. Going to I the think, side of the bed, I'm sorry, is creepy as fuck. You okay, know, but it's not like he was standing over you. He was just at the foot of the bed every time you With were- With an axe. <laughs> didn't see an axe. Oh my God, yeah. And so many encounters, so many encounters ever ever since. Just, ugh, I don't like them. <laughs> I Grounded spirits are just, I don't, mm -mm, no, no, no bueno. Um, I will talk to anybody's dead relative anytime um, you ask, and I'm being paid for it. I will absolutely do, do that. But if you're not paying for me and they're not, you're not paying for it, then get in line. I'm out. Yeah, exactly. Done. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't, I had no idea it was following me like to the side of the bed. Like that is, oh my God, that is creepy as fuck. Um, and now I'm going to put that in a book. Speaking of which, doo -doo -doo -doo. <laughs> like that segue wasn't that a yeah. good segue that was, was a really really good segue. it was it was i thought it was so i've been writing um number 11 in the ghost hunter mystery series <clears throat> and it takes place in santa fe has a lot to do with um the native american fictional history of um heath whitefeather who's mj's husband his tribe so in Ghoul Interrupted, I introduced you to his story, his origin story and his family and the tribe that he came from. And of course I had to set a demon in it. And um, the, the uh, historical Native American story that I put in it um, explained where his family got the name Whitefeather. So um, in, in the 11th book, uh, I go back to the scene of the crime, different demon. Um, but this one, I had an idea. And as I'm writing it, I'm like, there are times when I, like, I'm writing a mystery and I'm like, I want to like stop and be like, <laughs> I'm a genius. Yeah, I, I say that daily. <laughs> so um, there's a really, really good plot to this Excellent. one. Excellent. Well, this was a, I mean, of the entire ghoul, ghoul hunters mystery, right? Mm -hmm. Ghost, Ghost, Ghost hunters mystery. mystery. Yeah. Uh, this book that you're holding up and the uh, axe axe murderer uh, are my two favorites in the series. So, so actually, was, I also really uh, really Duke's liked our the, ghoul's best friend was the when you're talking about with Hatchet Hatch Jack. Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See how there's a theme today. <laughs> there is. It's called axes. Uh, X's and axes, no, just axes. Um, and then, but then I will also say in the in the next week, chainsaws. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tune in because why um, not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Um, no, but the in the Ghost Hunters Mysteries, the other book that I really, really loved was the one where Gilly and MJ head down to the south. Is that the is that yeah, the last book? That was the penultimate. That's the second to last book. Yeah. Um, awesome story. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that shed light on MJ's origin and Gilly's origin story. Yeah. Um, so uh it was important to for me to give an explanation as to why MJ turned out the way that she did. So, um, uh, and that history, both of those histories come back into this 11th book. Um, and I have decided that I will do at least three more oh, because I kind of want um, the story to kind of continue where MJ is because there's just so much rich material there. So <clears throat> I'm sure your fans are very excited that you're writing beyond Hopefully. book 10 Hopefully. yeah they are i'm We're sure they bored. are we've moved on yeah. <laughs> okay okay so yeah so i'm i'm rereading it um and uh you know there are times when like i come across a funny line and i laugh out loud and i'm like victoria you can't laugh out loud you wrote this like <laughs> but then there's no one around to see me so i feel like yeah, yeah. it's funny yeah so um all those spirits that are haunting you they're laughing with you yeah. <laughs> right and of course, I've, this was the book that I brought up to the lake, right? Yeah. And that oh. I'm reading right before, right yeah. before. So um, so I'm writing about a demon during the day and I'm reading about a demon at night. Who's not getting any sleep? Hello. 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 <laughs> Again, sleeping in my car. Um, <laughs> so do you have an anecdote for this week? No, I. Um, you said that you did. So like, okay. I, I have tons of anecdotes. I've been saving yeah. them. Yeah. But, um, I will defer to you. All right. So uh, on Friday, my gorgeous sister was kind enough to give me a quick reading. Um, and uh, I always feel so loved when you give me a reading because I feel that, you know, our our uh, family that's crossed over is around us. And, and then I love whatever it is that you're predicting for me. <laughs> so anyway, um, during the reading, I had asked you about our friend who I, we've shared on the podcast before with the picture frame being moved, right? Yes. It, Yes. So uh, this friend of mine, uh, and Victoria knows, lost one of his very close friends who's crossed over the other side and back at his Christmas best time. He lost his best friend. Best, best friend. Yeah. Um, they're a day apart in birth. So uh, at, at Christmas time, I was visiting with Jim. And the next morning, he called to tell me that a picture frame in his office had been moved from a bookcase all the way over to in front of his computer, which which was the photo frame. The photo in the frame contained a picture of Jim and his best friend who's crossed. So it was kind of like an incredible thought that a picture actually moved physically from one end of the room to the other. So during your reading on, on Friday, I asked if you had any messages for Jim and you told me that his best friend was going to affect lights yeah. in Jim's house to yeah. let him know that he was around. Yeah. So I didn't get around to sending Jim a, a note about that until this morning. And so the, the, the specific message was if Jim has just changed the light bulb or there's a particular lamp in his house that continually goes off for unknown reasons or the light that he's just replaced, like doesn't work. That is his friend. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, I send him this message this morning and he sends me a text right back and says, you're not going to believe it, but I screwed in a light bulb into the porch last night and it went out inexplicably. <laughs> so had I been, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's our dearly departed going, ta-da. Yes. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> but had I been timely in sharing this with him, he would have then known, but it, I, it kind of felt like I was after the fact, but regardless. No, I think his, he, he probably, he believed you though, right? Because so yes, many he freaky did. things have come through from that particular soul on the other side. Yeah. And yeah. what I loved was <clears throat> the soul on the other side was so adamant. He's like, I'm never moving another picture yes, again. That took yes. me all night. It took him all night. It took him all night. And there was a point at which he didn't know if he was going to make it, get the photo in front of the computer in time. Yes. Um, and uh, he was sweating it on the other side. So um, I, I thought it was adorable. Yes. But Sandy and I both know this uh, lovely gentleman uh, who crossed over and what a force to be reckoned with. The man was like he was the sun. He would just absolutely, he wouldn't just light up a room. He would light up the whole fucking block. He was really, yes. which is just lovely that he's affecting lights. So, yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. The other interesting thing is, is that Jim did have a reading with a medium back in January and out of the blue, no, it wasn't you. Out of the blue, Different that medium. medium. I'd never heard of this person. Traitor. He happened to go see this person in person. And out of the blue, this particular medium mentioned the photo and said, mm. you know, your friend from the other side is, is responsible for the photo. So I liked that there was a. Who else you know, could it a, have been? Right. I know, but I liked that there was a third party involved that had oh, no yeah, knowledge yeah. of yeah. the situation. So anyway, yeah. that's the anecdote. Of course, I also love that this gentleman who's on the other side, um, who's a dear friend of all of ours, um, <laughs> was not um, modest. Um, no, loud and proud. Camera. Yeah. He was in front of it. So yeah. um, uh, any opportunity to stand and admire himself. And he was a gorgeous, he was really, really beautiful man. Um, uh, so I love that. Like, he's like, have you seen this photo of me? Oh, yeah. good. <laughs> what about this one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. They're so fun. And you know, what's really interesting was when he was coming through and he was talking about affecting the lights for Jim, I remembered that I was in, I was giving a reading to someone, I think last week and, um, my lights went boop, 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 boop. Yeah. And I'm like, who's there? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, Please you're identify you're yourself. Grounded, I'm out of yeah. here. If you're yeah, over right. on the other side. Hello yeah. and welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes. <laughs> Please identify yourself. Oh my God. Yeah. So uh, and you know, talk about creep factor today. We're we're discussing axe murders. <clears throat> we not Sandy and I had also shared. We're like, oh, axe murders are particularly popular. So <laughs> Maybe we should add, you know, maybe we should, we should have X murder month and then maybe, you know, it's <laughs> death by flamethrower yeah. month, you know, month or something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> next week, chainsaws, the week after no, that, no. running over with a car. Yes. Is man gig. Um, yeah. Crime is, uh, it's not pretty. It's not it is pretty. not. Yeah. Especially like you say axe murder already. I'm riveted. Like, like, well, it's a is, gruesome way to go. Just oh, absolutely horrible. Gruesome way. It's gruesome horrible. Way to go. It's absolutely horrible. Everybody always wonders, did they feel it? Right. Because yes. if you're killing someone with an ax, it's not like you're stabbing them. You are aiming for the head. Yeah. Right. So there's a, there's a cringe factor there. Like what yeah. if, what if the first blow doesn't do it? You know? Well, we're still, if you think about the intent Right, of the person oh, wielding yeah. the axe. So yeah. anyway, this, this this case was suggested to us by Barbara Kelly, and we're going to cover Thank you, Barbara. the, the Velisca axe murders, which is actually a hundred year old mystery that to this day remains unsolved. And our story begins uh, sometime between the late evening of June 9th, um, 1912, and the early morning of June 10th, 
a mass murder was committed in the sleepy town of Villisca, Iowa. Six members of the Joseph B. Moore family, along with two house guests, were found bludgeoned with severe head wounds from an axe. A lengthy investigation into the horrific crime yielded multiple suspects, one of whom was tried twice. The first trial ended in a hung jury, and the second one ended in an acquittal. A hundred years later, the crime remains unsolved. On June 9, 1912, it unfolded like a typical Sunday at the Stillinger farmhouse of Joseph and Sarah and their daughters, 12-year-old Lena and 8-year-old Ina. The girls left home for church, and following the morning service, they planned on spending the afternoon, including dinner, with their grandmother. The girls also intended to spend the night at their grandmother's house after the Children's Day exercises concluded later that evening. However, their plans changed when the girls were invited by 10-year-old Mary Catherine Moore to spend the night at the Moore home instead. The Children's Day program at the Presbyterian Church was an annual event and began at 8 p.m. on Sunday Sunday evening, June 9th. Mrs. Sarah Moore coordinated the exercises in which all four of the Moore children, Herman, aged 11, Mary Catherine, aged 10, Arthur, 7, Paul, 5, and the two Stillinger sisters participated. The program ended at 9.30 p.m., and the Moore family, along with Lena and Ina Stillinger, walked home from the church to the Moore residence at 508 East 2nd Street. The group reportedly entered the home sometime between 9.45 and 10 p.m. that evening. At 7 a.m. the next morning, Mary Peckham, the Moore's next-door neighbor, realized that the family had not come outdoors to do their morning chores. Out of concern, Mary knocked on their front door, but when nobody answered, she tried to open the door, but she found it locked. After letting the Moore's chickens out, Mary called Ross Moore, Josiah's brother, to tell him about her concerns. Upon arrival, Ross knocked on the front door and shouted through a main floor bedroom window, but received no response. Now alarmed, Ross unlocked the front door with his copy of his house key and entered the home, leaving Mary on the front porch. Ross went through the parlor And after opening the guest bedroom door, to his horror, he found Ina and Lena Stillinger's motionless bodies on the bed. Ross yelled to Mary to call Hank Horton, Villisca's primary peace officer, who arrived shortly thereafter. Hank's search of the house revealed that the entire Moore family and the two Stillinger girls had been bludgeoned to death with an axe. Their murder weapon belonging to Josiah was found in the guest room where the Stillinger sisters lay dead. Doctors concluded that the murders had taken place between midnight and 5 a.m. and theorized that the killer or killers began in the master bedroom where 43-year-old Josiah and 39-year-old Sarah Moore were sleeping. Josiah received more blows from the axe than any other victim. His face had been cut to such an extent that his eyes were missing. The perpetrator also used the blade of the axe to kill Sarah. Herman, Mary Catherine, Arthur, and Paul were all found in their beds bludgeoned in the head by a blunt end of an axe. The murderer then returned to the master bedroom to inflict even more blows on the elder Moors before moving downstairs to the guest bedroom off the parlor to kill Ina and Lena. Ina was sleeping closest to the wall with Lena on her right side. A gray coat covered her face. Lena, according to the inquest testimony of Dr. F.S. Williams, quote, lay through, lay as though she had been knocked one foot out of her bed sideways with the other hand up under the pillow on the right side, half sideways. Not clear over just a little bit. Apparently, she had been struck in the head and squirmed down in the bed, perhaps one third of the way. End quote. Lena's nightgown was slit up and she was wearing no undergarments. There was a blood stain on the inside of her right knee and what the doctors assumed was a defensive wound on her arm. It is believed that she is the only victim to have attempted to fight off the attacker. Addis- additional observations from the grisly scene included curtains were drawn on all of the windows in the house except for two which did not have curtains and were instead covered with clothing belonging to the moors 
every exterior door to the house was locked. All the victims' faces were covered with bedclothes after they were killed. A kerosene lamp was found at the foot of the bed of Josiah and Sarah. The chimney was off and the wick had been turned back. The chimney was found under the dresser. A similar lamp was found at the foot of the bed of the Stillinger sisters. The chimney was also off. The ceilings in the parents' bedroom and the children's rooms showed gouge marks apparently made by the upswing of the axe. A piece of a watch chain was found on the floor in the downstairs guest bedroom, and an attempt was made to wipe the murder weapon clean. <clears throat> a pan of bloody water was discovered on the kitchen table, as well as a plate, as well as a plate of uneaten food, and a two-pound slab of bacon wrapped in a dish towel was found on the floor near, lying near the axe. A second slab of bacon about the same size was found in the icebox. Some accounts suggest that the two spent cigarettes were discovered in the attic and indicated that the killer or killers had laid in wait until the family and guests had fallen asleep. No one knows why the Moore family was targeted. Josiah's, Josiah was one of Villisca's most prominent businessmen, and he and his wife, Sarah, whom he married in 1899, had been residents of Villisca for 13 years. For the first nine years of the family's residency in Villisca, jo Josiah was employed by Frank Jones at the Jones store. And in 1908, Josiah opened up his own implement company, taking the lucrative John Deere franchise with him, much to the chagrin of Frank Jones. In terms of the investigation, several possible suspects connected to the Moore family were considered, including Frank Jones, Reverend George Ke Kelly, William Mansfield, Loving Mitchell, Paul Mueller, and Henry Lee Moore, who is not related to the Moore family. Frank F. Jones was a Villisca resident and an Iowa state senator. It was well known among the townspeople that there was bad blood between Frank and Josiah because of Josiah's departure from the Jones store to open his own business, taking the very successful John Deere dealership with him. Jo Additionally, Josiah was rumored to have had a sexual affair with Frank's daughter-in-law, Donna Jones, though no evidence supports this speculation. Detective James Newton Wilkerson of the Burns Detective Agency openly accused Frank and his son Albert of hiring William Mansfield to kill Josiah. However, neither Frank nor Albert was ever arrested and both denied vehemently any connection to the murders. William Blackie Mansfield of Blue Island, Illinois, was also known as George Worley and or Jack Turnbaugh. According to Detective Wilkerson, Mansfield was a cocaine feed and a serial killer. The detective also believes that Mansfield was responsible for the axe murders of his wife, infant child, father-in-law, and mother-in-law in Blue Isle, Illinois on July 5, 1914, which was two years after the Villisca axe murders. The axe murders committed in Paola, Kansas, four days before the Villisca murders and the murders of Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Aurora, Colorado. Wilkerson's investigation revealed that all of these murders were committed in precisely the same manner, indicating the same man committed them. In each case, the victims were hacked to death with an axe, the mirrors in each of the homes were covered, a burning lamp with a chimney off was left at the foot of the bed, and a basin in which the murderer washed was found in the kitchen. At every crime scene, the murderer avoided leaving fingerprints by wearing gloves, which Wilkerson strongly believes was evidence that the killer was Manfield, Mansfield, who knew his fingerprints were on file with the federal military prison at Leavenworth. Wilkerson stated that he could prove that Mansfield was present in each of these places on the night of the murders and managed to convince a grand jury to open an investigation. In 1916, Mansfield was arrested and brought to Montgomery County, Iowa from Kansas City. Payroll records, however, provided an alibi that placed Mansfield in Illinois at the time of the Villisca murders. He was released for lack of evidence and later won a lawsuit that he brought against Wilkerson and was, was awarded $2,225. The next suspect, Reverend George Jacqueline Kelly, 
was an English-born traveling minister, and after several years of preaching throughout the Midwest, he and his wife had settled in Macedonia, Iowa in 1912. Kelly was described as peculiar, peculiar, sorry, reportedly having suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent, and as an adult, he had been accused on several occasions of peeping and asking young women and girls to pose nude for him. Kelly arrived in Villisca on June 8, 1912, to teach the Children's Day services, and he left town between 5 a.m., and 5.50 a.m. on June 10th, mere hours before the six murder victims were discovered at the Moore house. In the weeks that followed, he displayed a fascination with the Moore case and wrote many letters to the police, investigators, and families of the deceased. His obsessive behavior aroused suspicion, prompting a private investigator to write a letter to the reverend asking for any information that the minister might know about the murders. Kelly replied with a detailed letter claiming to have heard sounds and possibly witnessed the murders. However, his well-documented mental illness caused authorities to question whether Kelly committed the murders or was imagining his account of the crime. In 1914, two years after the murders, Kelly was arrested for sending obscene material through the mail. He was actually sexually harassing a woman who had applied for a job as, as his secretary. He was sent to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, the National Mental Hospital in Washington, D.C., for treatment. In 1917, Kelly was arrested for the Villisca murders. Police obtained a confession from him. However, it followed many hours of interrogation and Kelly later recanted. He was tried twice for the murders of the Moore family and the Stillinger sisters. The first trial resulted in a hung jury and he was acquitted at the conclusion of the second trial. Following his arduous time in Iowa, he moved to Kansas City, Connecticut, and finally New York City. The remaining years of his life and his final resting place are unknown. Henry Lee Moore, is the next suspect, and M.W. McClory, a federal officer assigned to the Villisca case, announced in May of 1913 that he had solved not only the Villisca murders, but 22 others that had been committed in the Midwest around the same time frame. McClory's theory was that Henry Lee Moore, which was, he was, again, not related to Josiah Moore, was the serial killer responsible for all 22 more murders. Moore was released from the Kansas State Reformatory in Hutchinson, Kansas, on April 11, 1911, after serving time for a forgery charge. In September of 1911, in Colorado Springs, Colorado, H.C. Wayne, his wife and child, and Mrs. A.J. Burnham and her two children were bludgeoned with an axe, and windows were covered with, no with bedding. Um, a month later, in October of 1911, a family was killed in Monmouth, Illinois, and a week later, five members of a family in Ellsworth, Kansas, were murdered as they slept. In early June of 1912, a week before the Villisca Axe murders, a man and his wife were killed in Paola, Kansas. All of these murders were executed in an eerily similar way to the Villisca murders. Henry Moore was convicted of the murdering of his mother and maternal grandmother in Columbia, Missouri, just months after the murders of, in Villisca. Both women were killed with an axe just as brutally as the victims in Villisca. Testimony during Moore's trial revealed that he had lived with his mother and grandmother during the winter of 1911 and the summer of 1912, and they'd left their home to take a job on the railroad. Henry Lee Moore served 36 years of a life sentence before being paroled by the governor of Missouri on December 2, 1949, and his sentence was commuted on July 30, 1956, six months shy of his 83rd birthday. His last known residence was the Salvation Army Center in St. Louis, and it is unknown when he died or where he was living at that time. Uh, Andrew Sawyer, another suspect, uh, every transient and, and otherwise unaccounted for stranger was the suspect in murders, and Andrew Sawyer was one of those people. He was known to be obsessed with the murders and slept fully clothed as if he was ready to make a clean getaway. 
He also slept with an axe by his bed. Sawyer was interrogated but not charged as no real evidence linked him to the crime. He was dismissed as a suspect in the case when he was able to prove that he'd been in Oxilua, Iowa on the night of the murders. He had been arrested for vagrancy and the sheriff recalled putting him on a train at approximately, approximately 11 p.m. that evening. And the final suspect, Paul Mueller, in their, 19, in their 2017 book, The Man from the Train, Bill James and his daughter, Rachel McCarthy James, discussed the Velisca murders as part of their much larger series of murders, which they believe were all committed by a single serial killer, Paul Mueller. Mueller, an immigrant from Germany, was initially wanted for the 1897 murder of a family in West Brookfield, Massachusetts, who had employed him as a farmhand. The author's research turned up archival newspaper stories detailing dozens of families murdered under very similar circumstances across the United States, and they believe that Mueller was guilty of the Bliska murders as part of a spree that lasted over a decade, killing at least 59 people in 14 separate incidents, including the Colorado Springs and Paola crimes. The serial killer selected families who lived near railroad tracks indicating the killer traveled via train from town to town and randomly ambushed his victims just, just after midnight while they slept. This assailant typically used an axe found in the victim's home and struck his prey with the blunt side of the axe rather than the blade in the head and the face. The killer also covered the victims with blankets to prevent blood spatter, covered windows from inside the house, left the murder weapon in plain sight, and locked the doors before departure. In Mueller's suspected crimes, there was often, but not always, a sexual motive directed towards a pubescent girl, as was the situation with Lena Stillinger, who was discovered partially disrobed. The Moore's former home still stands today. Many claim it is haunted. Visits by investigators have provided audio, video, and photographic proof of paranormal activity, including sounds of children's voices, falling lamps, moving ladders, and flying objects. Were the Velisca axe murders committed by a serial killer, a mentally unstable man or was it the, a murder for hire perhaps victoria knows my sources for this story include uh, wikipedia the Velisca axe murders uh, www.veliscaiowa.com the official website for the Velisca axe murder house and that was it for my sources just two um so v you said when we when before we uh, got on air that you had a very clear understanding of who committed this crime so yeah what are was, your thoughts? hands down was paul miller like it just um when I first started reading like I was probably third paragraph in and I thought uh at the introduction of Lena and Ilma I'm like he targeted one of the girls one of those two girls so <clears throat> um it, it's just so obvious to me in the ether that it's Paul Miller because I went through all of the other suspects and on paper they look like you know they really could have been one guy um confesses another one um kills his mom and his henry lee moore yeah yeah a um, bit of a wackadoodle yeah yeah um so but the um distance between the thing that i was I, I kept kicking out the um the more words victoria i'll get there. henry lee get moore there. right yeah henry was... moore i kept kicking him out because uh -huh. it's 183 miles between um it was, he committed supposedly he committed these two murders four days apart but it's 183 miles uh between the two locations and i i was just scrolling on my phone trying to find train tracks that were sort of a direct route and i couldn't find any i yeah. might be wrong but like it just felt like mm, that's logistically that's really hard 
um, the timing would have had to have been like perfect and he would have had to have been up for another round of ax murders. Okay. Mm -hmm. Not to be too morbid, but like, that's a lot of energy. That's a lot mm -hmm. of, a lot of energy. Um, so, uh, when I hit on Paul, Paul Muller's name, it was just like, bink, that one. And I, I can't tell you why, other than when I saw his photo, it just totally matched the description of, you know, I didn't see him per se, but yeah. there's a feeling of, um, a shape to the face and a shape to the body. And I'm like, he fits, he fits that. So for me, it's Paul Miller. I wish I could tell you, you know, specifically candlestick by Colonel Mustard. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but it just, he just popped off the page as it's this guy. And then I was digging into the book, the man from the train. I read an interview from the co-author, the daughter of, um, so I read an interview from Rachel McCarthy um, James. James, Rachel sorry. McCarthy, James. Yeah. Yep. Um, and um, she scoured, scoured newspapers. So for like four years, all she did was look at newspapers looking for um, like tens of thousands of newspapers looking for axe murders. And she found a pattern that she can place on Paul Muller. And I believe her. I, I think that they nailed it. Um, yeah. And that was incredible investigative work, truly. But I really think he did it. It's awful. Yeah. It's interesting that the Velisca axe murder ended up being like the one that um, was the most, most infamous. Exactly. If he killed 59 people in 14 separate incidences. Right. You know, well, that's what, why how, she, that's, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's it's a, just interesting to me that this is the one that kind of bubbled yeah, up publicly yeah. to the degree that it did. <clears throat> there was sort of addressed in the interview that I was reading. Um, they were like, you know, why this one over that one? And she said, there's really no rhyme or reason um, because certainly there were murders involving an ax in more famous people, more known people um, like Frank Lloyd Wright's uh, assistant murdered a whole bunch of people um, or servant, not assistant, servant murdered a whole yes. bunch of people. And like, no one like that was the first I'd ever heard of it. And uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. So um, that was news to me. So uh, that's why she went digging into these newspapers, because there wasn't really any like we have the interwebs now, you know, something yeah. can go viral. But it was much, much, much harder for this type of thing to go viral. And in fact, in some cities, because this did gain national attention, in some cities, it knocked the thinking of the, of the Titanic off the front page, which is really incredible when you think about it. Um, but I think it's the heinousness, horrificness, the creepiness of this act, you know, where he's coming up the windows and the mirrors. Um, and I, I know that there's a theory out there that he was covering up the windows and the mirrors uh, he was coming up the, the window so no one would see inside and he was covering up, covering up the mirrors. I forget why someone tossed a theory out. And I'm like, this was his ritual. It was his ritual. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily to stop prying eyes from looking in because he committed all of these murders in the dark. The tiniest little flame um, was up. So uh, I don't think he was worried about being seen. I think it was like just part of the ritual to contain the space, the sort of sacred space within which he would take these lives. And um, I, yeah, the motive, like his motivation was prepubescent girls. He was, he, I believe, targeted families with prepubescent 
uh, little girls. So um, the second I, I read Ilna's or Lena's, Lena's name, I'm like, oh, damn, she was Lore. Yeah. So unfortunately. Um, yeah. Poor love. And he killed her last, which yep. tells me she was the Lore. Well, I, um, I don't know if you, and I encourage the audience, if you want, there are several YouTube videos of the home because it is a historical house and you can tour it. Um, based on the description, when I was first reaching, researching the case, I thought, oh, this must be a, a big house. It's actually very tiny. And um, there's only, th I think, three rooms on the main floor, the parlor, mm -hmm. the kitchen, and then this guest bedroom. Yeah. Um, and then upstairs, there's only two rooms. There's mm -hmm. the main, the the primary bedroom for the husband and the wife, and then all four children slept in the second bedroom. So I'm astounded that someone could be in the house and be as quiet mm -hmm. that he needed to be as he, and how do you not wake up the other person as you're, I mean, they're That's all in the, the same room. So he put the, the coverings over the, over all of the people before he struck them. So you are dulling the noise with the bedclothes and he probably was very if he was practiced at this which apparently he was if he committed yeah. 159 murders um he and he was obviously very strong um so he i think boom 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 round two boom 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 so oh, okay. if he hit them once yeah boom to stun done. them and knew yeah. and knew where he was hitting them right yeah right so he would just aim for the head as hard as he could and then go around and then just keep doing that. Um, I have a feeling, and um, I know this is like terrible to even contemplate, but I have a feeling that Josiah lived through the initial um, bludgeoning. Yeah. And that's why he returned and just decimated him. I have a feeling that Josiah was still alive when he went to the children's rooms. I don't think he, that he was conscious. I think though that he was laboring, breathing or something. I think that there was movement with him. And um, that's why this guy was so vicious. He just wanted to make sure that Josiah was dead. So awful. And I don't yeah. know if um, Mary, is it Mary, his wife? Yes. Yeah. Or is it Sarah? Sarah, Sarah. sorry, Sarah yeah. Moore. Yeah. I don't know if Sarah, when he hit Josiah, I don't know if Sarah woke up. I have a feeling she didn't. I have a feeling he hit Paul pretty hard and then went to her. Mm -hmm. um, and um, <clears throat> I think also the reason for covering up the people before he was bludgeoning them was the blood splatter would get all over the axe and and make it slippery. Um which is, I, I like want to throw up contemplating this. I know it happened over a hundred years ago, but my God, like my God, you know, yeah. just awful. So and did you perceive whether or not he was hiding in the attic before yes. his family got home? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, he didn't break in. He was already there. So, and he, I mean, can you, oh my God. No. That is, I've seen that done as a plot to certain crime shows and it, like always creeps me the hell yeah, out. Somebody's in your house. Right. Yeah. Like that's the ultimate Halloween, you yeah. know? Yeah. Movie. For sure. For sure. Freddy Krueger. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. Run. Yeah. Now that we're all sufficiently uh uh creeped out. 
Yes. Read Victoria's book, get creeped out and then uh, follow up on this case, get creeped out. Yeah. But I think, thank you, Barbara Kelly. I, I have to admit, I thought initially when she proposed it, that this was something that took place in Italy because <laughs> I was pronouncing the name wrong. So when I started to read up on it, I was like, wow, this is a fascinating case. So thank you yeah. very much, Barbara, for suggesting it. Yeah. Rightly it so. Makes, Rightly you so. know, I really want to read the book, A Man a man from, uh, from the Train. The Train. Yeah, because this is, she dug in so thoroughly, so thoroughly researched. Um, you got to really give props to that mm-hmm. amazing For sure. um, job that she did. So uh, by my book, by hers. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So thanks for writing the substance. I That's hope you wrote it during the day because- I was, yeah, I I write all my cases during the day. There's no there's no nighttime for Sandy. No. Right. No. Um, I was reading this for the first time uh, in the morning, and the phone rang, and I went. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. Super creepy. Super super creepy. So anyway, all right, lovey, I love you so much. Um, you too. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks everybody for watching, and uh, we'll be back next week with another another one. case another yeah, really no. creepy one honestly yeah. it's another yeah. really super you know um whole so, family murdered kind of thing if we want to know more about you oh go head to victorialaurie.com to learn more about me uh or to sign up for an appo- appointment with me i promise i will not bring in any axe murderers from the other side no butchers so only good good loved ones and you have a patreon page up <laughs> So, um, getting a lot of subscribers on the Patreon page, I'm trying to, um, post there as much as possible. So a couple of things that the Patreon page offers, they offer, um, it offers predictions coming up. Um, so I cover finance and I cover politically, and I'm about to go deep dive into the weather that's coming up over the course of the next six months. Um, and any other new trends that I can hit on. Um, and then I also do a dear Victoria column. Um, so if you have one, and I do mean one thing that you would like, uh, some intuitive advice on, please send an email to Victoria at victorialaurie.com and with the, um, subject header, dear Victoria. And if you can give yourself an anonymous name, that that's helpful. If not, I will come up with one for you. Cannot tell you that you might like it or not, but, um, I will do my best. So again, one one topic yeah, don't make her seven. choose seven yeah don't make so her choose. many of these emails are like i want to know this 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 this. i'm like sign up for a freaking reading you know like pay me <laughs> this is how i make my living people so one topic um per person so anyway okay love you and thank you and uh, Thanks, see you soon okay sounds great okay bye